WCFAM Radio 950 now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open, 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. It has kind of been a chilly kind of week. We're hot, we're cold, we're hot, we're cold. Eh, maybe it's my age, but I do feel it hot and cold once in a while. And But the greenhouses, the energy. If you're into the, visiting the greenhouses, you'll see that the warmth of those thin layers of plastic, as soon as you get a little bit of sunshine, oh, how cozy and warm. And those plants are just loving it. It's been a cold spring, yes, I know, because the fat little robins are just puffed up a little bit more to keep that downy warmth that's in there. And our mother goose that's been sitting outside in our parking lot nestled in some of our mulch beds. She's been sitting so delicately on top of these eggs all week. And we had quite a surprise. Our five little eggs have turned into five little goslings, even on a cold spring day. Listen to this poem. It is a cold spring. And nothing is so beautiful as spring. A cold spring. The violet was flawed on the lawn. For two weeks or more, the trees hesitated. The little leaves waited, carefully indicating their characteristics. Finally, a gray-green dust settled over your big, aimless hills. One day, in a chill white blast of sunshine, on the side of one, a calf was born. The mother stopped lowing and took a long time eating, but the calf got up promptly and seemed inclined to feel gay. The next day was much warmer. Greenish-white dogwood infiltrated the wood. Each petal burned, apparently, by a cigarette butt and blurred the red bud stood beside it motionless, but almost more like movement than any placeable color. Four deer practiced leaping over the fences. The infant oak leaves swung through the sober oak. Song sparrows were wound up for the summer, and in the maple of the complimentary cardinal cracked a whip, and the sleeper awoke, stretching miles of green limbs from the south. In his cap the lilacs whitened, then one day they fell like snow. And now, in the evening, a new moan, moon comes. The hills grow softer, tufts of the long grass show, where each cow flop lies. The bullfrogs are sounding, slack strings plucked by heavy thumbs. Beneath the light against the white of your front door, the smallest mouths. The Chinese fans flatten themselves, silver and glitter gilt, and over pale yellow, orange, or gray. Now in the thick grass the fireflies begin to rise. Up, then down, then up again, lit on the ascending flight, drifting simultaneously to the same height, exactly like the bubbles in champagne. Later on they will rise much higher, and your shadowy pastures will be able to offer these particular glowing tributes every evening now throughout the summer. And that is our cool spring morning. And I know that it is the season where we're doing a lot of our seeding and getting thoughts of planning into our garden. But did you also know 
that it's a perfect time to start maybe planting up those pots. I'm talking your tropical house plants. Bumping them up. Take a look at them. We've been having a lot of inquiries and questions as to sort of saying, when do I plant up my pot? What do I know? How do I know when or the, what are the signs of transplanting some of my planters? So I thought I would sort of give you a few tips that's on there. If you have any questions about it, you can give me a shout. But when you're doing your tropical plants, there's a couple little indicators as to if you need to plant it up, when to plant them up, and what size of pot do I put them up to? Now, we all know the theory of bonsai. Now, bonsais, we know, can stay in an existing pot for a number of years because of pruning of the top portion of it and pruning on the bottom. I'm not an expert of it, but I love the theory and the elegance because I've seen some of these bonsais that's in collections that are hundreds of years old. I remember one time going down to visit my sister down in the California area. She took me to a garden center where they had bonsais that were over a hundred years old and I couldn't imagine that the the extensity, the weave, the sweep of these plants, it was quite dramatic and it was quite invigorating. I could stand and watch and look at those plants all day just imagining the root systems of how they've been trained and pulled apart and twisted. But we look at our house plants and we go, how long can that plant live in that pot? Well, we know that plants love their containers, their their roots nice and snug, different than our annuals. Tropical plants can stay in containers as long as they're given their moisture and allowed to breathe, given sunlight or the right amount of light that they need to grow in. Now, if you see roots coming out of those drainage holes on the bottom, or if you see what we call girdling of roots across the top surface of the pot where the roots seem to be merging and clustering and weighing themselves down and there's no more soil on top, that is a clear indication, hey, it's time to bump it up. When you take the size of the plant that you want to bump up, we generally say plants, remember, like to be snuggled in their pots. So we say let's go about an inch or two on the width of the pot You can go a little bit deeper, so if the pot is a little bit deeper, you can open that up and allow more depth, but the sides, it doesn't have to be too much bigger, maybe two inches bigger. It's a slow transition, and the rationale why we want to tell you is a slow transition, that if you think that you have this beautiful, big hibiscus tree with this big canopy, it doesn't necessarily need that bigger pot to go twice the size, because at that point, Plants will generally maybe sometimes go into a shutdown where they say, we have all this soil around us. We have to generate all these roots to support and be able to hold myself straight. It's almost like the anchoring of a tree. You put it in a new reservoir outside planted. It's kind of rocky in the wind because it's got too much of that area, too much of new soil around it that it goes through. That's why we stake them up. So take a look at it. There's two things, too, of very, very strong importance. I will say this over and over again. I see more damage after a plant's been transplanted, especially in tree-form tropicals, because we bury them or we plant them too deep. You have to remember, in nature, these plants are trees. Hibiscus, poinsettias, you know, schlafleuras, like everyone knows that little umbrella tree. 
if you visit some of our southern states and our neighbors down below, you'll see that these grow as hedges. They grow in gardens as, uh, you know, natural bedding and natural plants that we just totally kind of get green with envy because we can't grow them here in our yards, except for maybe in the pot during the summer. So take care when you plant your tropicals. Make sure, assure that you have them at the same depth level at the surface so that you're not burying more soil and creating height on that stem or that stalk or that trunk because it will be a slow demise for those plants. You'll choke it out. It's like planting our trees outdoors. Our trees outdoors don't like to be buried deeper. They're supposed to be maintained at the level and give them the extra depth and the width for them to grow in. Now, when you're loosening and you're bringing those root balls up, you'll sometimes, and we, yeah, if we have some plants here for a while, once or twice, there's a few little ones that sort of straggle around and get sort of mixed and melded in with our other plants in our tropical houses here, we too will bump them up. We take a look at the rooting system. We see how tightly bound maybe they are. And it's the exact same thing with the theory of when you're planting your bedding plants or your perennials or your trees and your shrubs. You want to Basically, roughen up and scour the outsides of those leaf structures or those root structures, sorry, not the leaves, the roots. Give it kind of a bad hair ruffled up, get, open up those soft, smaller, tendril roots so that they're able to radiate into the soil. All right? I guess our conversation about plants is now starting to spur. We've got some callers on the line. We're going to go right to the first one. Hi, Helen. Hi. Hi, how are you this morning? I'm fine. How are you? Very well. Good. How can we help you this morning on the lawn garden? Your topic, actually, on transplanting tropicals is one of the questions I was going to ask. Well, we're right on track together. Yes. Um, I have a croton petra. Okay. And it's about almost a foot high now. It's in a six-inch pot that I bought from the nursery. And I was wondering if it's too soon to transplant it into a larger pot. Okay. So when did you buy the petra? Oh, I don't know, a year ago. Okay, and if it was in a six-inch pot, there's a few indicators that are on it. Um, a, sometimes, and maybe we'll tell people what crotons are. Crotons are tropical plants with large sort of uh, elongated oval leaves that are dramatically colored in red, green, oranges, and yellows. So they are quite colorful. They're beautiful. Yes, but they are. I, yeah, I would take a clue as to sort of see a um, if you see roots around the top surface of it or if you're seeing the roots no coming I, I do not see pot. roots on top okay now here's the other part of it is sometimes when I see that plants have been in the pots for a long period of time there is sometimes when you take your finger and you push down on the soil there's a sponginess to the soil and if plants get a little bit more where their roots are a little bit more compacted that sponginess kind of goes away so you're okay. showing that the density of those roots is taking up that volume of soil okay okay now i have another question is it in an original plastic pot or did you put yes it into it's in an original plastic pot okay the other thing that you can do is on plastic pots and i see it sometimes too because we just got some tropical plants in from florida a whole 53 footer and some of the pots that i've got they haven't got the round shape. They've got an elongated kind of oval shape now. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, these have been in the Florida fields for a long period of time. We need to save a couple of these guys because they have 
beautiful big roots on them. So we recommend to people, if you start to see the shape of a round pop, kind of bulging out or splitting or becoming an oval pot, that's an indicator that it needs to be bumped up. Okay. 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 The other thing, too, is if you're in a plastic pot, and if you allow it to dry a little bit, sometimes you can slide that. Yes, I let it dry off. right out before watering. Yeah, but this is the time that you can slide that plastic pot off. Get some newspaper down so you don't make a mess in the kitchen. But okay. you can pull it out and take a look at the roots because sometimes okay. if you look at those roots. How large are the roots on these plants? They can get, they're not as thick as spider plants and all that kind of stuff where they get very bulbous that's on it. Okay. But they can be quite extensive. Okay. Okay, because mm-hmm. down in the southern states, they grow these in their gardens as shrubs. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they do. What about fertilizer for them? Fertilizing, great. I'm going to tick it off my sheet that I've we're talked about it now. <laughs> okay. uh, fertilizing, they're in active growth right now because our light candles are improving. When I talk about light candles, that means our sunlight is longer days. Mm-hmm. And plant when you get longer days, the plants respire more, so they need more energy, and then they dry quicker because mm-hmm. they're going through. So I would be fertilizing if you're watering once a week. Mm-hmm. I would water. I would give it fertilizer that once a week. I okay, I, I pretty much use uh, sea sea um, plants. Sea kelp. Yes. Oh, that's for beautiful. all my house plants. So that's okay to continue with that. Yeah, that's okay. okay. And okay. sometimes if you're using some fertilizers, whether they're sea kelp organics or the other, sometimes I just cut it down just a little bit and just give them a constant little, I call it constant snacking. <laughs> yes, okay. Okay? Okay, and I have a question about when it does come to transplant potting soil. I often buy potting soil, and when I open the bag, it's full of little bugs or little gnats, little flies. Oh. How Ooh. do I get rid of those? Can I heat them and heat it in the oven? Yeah, you can. You can, yep. eh? That yep. doesn't do anything to the soil then. No, it okay. doesn't. Uh, in the old, you're just reminding me of my older days. We, uh, when years ago, <laughs> uh, we used to have a great big bin that had heat rods that ran through it, and the boys would dump two yards of soil on there, and we would cook the soil overnight. And uh, I hate to say it, but that old machine uh, called it quits about eight years ago, and I just miss it solely. It's just, it was a great thing to have. Sorry, I'm losing you. Oh, yeah, but I'm just going to say you can cook your soil and all that kind of stuff, and if there were bugs in it, they've just become organic matter. Okay. Okay? Okay, yeah, uh, how high of the oven? About 200? I would probably do a slow, steady warmth. Yeah, about 200 is not going to but don't leave it in there. Uh, Keep an eye on it. Have a cup of coffee and all that kind of stuff when you're in the kitchen with it, Okay. 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 Thank you very much. Okay, you're very welcome. Enjoy Bye-bye. your program. Oh, thank you very much. And stay safe. Yes, you too, okay. Helen. Bye-bye. All right. Happy gardening. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to go right back to lines. We have Bill on the line. Good morning, Bill. Hi. Hi, how are you? And you know what? I forgot to ask Helen where she was calling from. I'll ask you. Yeah, oh, I'm from Winnipeg. Waverly High Stereo. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, my question is with respect to hydrangeas. Uh, I seem not. They seem not to survive the the uh, the mini ones. Whereas the Annabella, I have no problem with it. But what kind of conditions do hydrangea like? 
Well, hydrangeas themselves, I'm glad that you clarified that it was uh, for outdoors because there's still, there's hydrangeas that you can get for inside florist type and then there's the garden hydrangeas. The garden hydrangeas uh, belong in the category of plants who or which like acidic soil. Right. So they like being in areas partnered with evergreens and spruce and junipers that are there. Right. Uh, I find that we tend to think that hydrangeas like the deep, deep shade, but I find that they will take a little bit more sunlight, and some will even go in full sun. But the secret to the hydrangea is moisture. If it's in a dry site, hydra, in the word hydrangea, gives us a clue that they like that moisture once they're well established. They like moist areas, but not soggy and damp. They still require to have their rooting systems to have some air spaces so that their roots come up and breathe once in a while. So if it's in a foundation, can I ask, is it close to a foundation of a house or is it in a... It's, uh, it's close to, uh, I built a, a sidewalk, patio yeah. sidewalk, and uh, I have a strip of soil next to it and it's on the front yard. And the other thing that... Uh, uh, you talk about acidic soils. I had a spruce tree removed, okay. uh, and so the needles of that, I took a lot of that away, but it should like that soil, right? It's not directly in that the, in that bed, but I, I put some of it into it. And then yep. the other thing is uh, I start them with um, bone meal on the bottom. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Bone meal, bone meal on the bottom is is great. Now, is the sidewalk close to the driveway or is it se- is separate? Closer to the, as close to a driveway, fairly close. Yeah. Okay. Um, they don't like that. Well, I'm just thinking because sometimes when I see hydrangeas close to the sidewalk, it depends on which way you're shoveling your snow, because in some cases, if you have a lot of uh, grit and salt and our cars drive through a lot of salt and grit that's on the ground and if there happens to be a little bit of a salt content and they're throwing the snow with the salt content onto the hydrangeas because salt and plants don't do nice together right okay so i would say if you can shovel the other way yeah for next year we're going to have you shovel the opposite way yeah, if you can. yeah. okay, okay. And, have you got all right, I, I'll give you two variety names that uh, sure. maybe last two. One of them was a uh, mini uh, little quick fire. Okay. And then the other one, uh, last two was a new variety, mini Movet. Yeah. Or Morvet. Movet, mini They seem Movet. to last, they don't last long, two years maybe, and uh, they dry up. So am I maybe not giving them enough moisture then? I suspect it could be not enough moisture, especially in the first couple years. Okay. When you plant, uh, make sure that when we're planting, and I love the conversation because it's getting to be planting season. Right. Dig the hole twice as big as the root ball. Okay. Remove that clay base. So you should, I'm going to say, never, never, never backfill with that clay that we pull out. The soil should be a nice, fresh, four-way, three-way mix that you're going to fill back into it. Okay. Okay. Plant it, the shrub or the tree, at the exact same level that it's in the pot. Okay. Because trees and shrubs don't like to be buried deep. If you bury them deep, they're going to struggle. They're going to come up a little weaker. Or if it's a tree and you put extra, even two inches of soil around that trunk of the tree, for the first year, you're going to think it's great, but you're actually uh, causing a detriment to the cambium or the bark of that tree. Okay. Now, 
when you're watering, you have to water faithfully for the, at least the first two years to get these trees and shrubs established. Okay. So I may suspect, I'm not going to wiggle my finger at you, but I might suspect that you didn't yeah. water enough. Have okay. you got suggestions of spe- variety names of that do well here? Well, oh, there's a there's a lot of hydrangeas that do well here. Like, what height did you you want the dwarfer varieties, right? The dwarf, right? I have an Annabella. It does very well. It's uh, no problem with that one. Yeah, quick fire. Well, I think quick fire might be a little bit too high for you. Bobo, you can look for Bobo. Okay. Uh, Bobo might be one, but I think the ones that you have, they do, they are okay here to grow. So okay. I suspect that if you try with some of the other ones, just be diligent with your watering especially also too and i should say watering is key especially because um this year because we know that our water table is going to be very low it's very dry even the farmers i feel for them that they don't have enough moisture in the in their grounds but you fill if anyone is out there planting hello all gardeners make sure you fill dig your holes fill the water the reservoir up with water let it drain through fill it again let it drain through, and then plant, and then water well. And we generally have a rule of thumb that if we're around, if we're planting and it's 20 degrees, we're going to water once a week, a nice, good, healthy drink. If our temperatures start climbing and we get to 28 and 30 degrees plus, we're probably watering our new stuff three times a week. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. I I appreciate your uh, words of advice. Okay. Thanks, Bill, for calling, and uh, have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Now, I must say, I'm going to tell you my favorite hydrangea, and I swear by it. It's beautiful. It'll take part shade to full sun, and I want you to all Google it if you can. Hydrangea Vanilla Strawberry. It starts off, it's got this conical-shaped bloom that's to it. Starts off pure white, and as these conical blooms go about 6, 8, 10 inches tall, they start to transition from a white to a soft pink and as that kind of, think of those uh, those uh, popsicles that have the three different colors on it. It goes from pink to white and then to a dark red burgundy. And it's just beautiful that's on there. Anyway, we're going to take, Eva, I want to take one more caller before we take break. Hi, Betty. How are you? Good, thanks. And how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I have to ask you, where are you calling from? From Winnipeg. Well, it's a Winnipeg morning, eh? Yes. Yes. Okay. Nice and sunny. Oh, it's sunny, and you know, I hear that we might be getting some rain later, but uh, mm-hmm. as much as I, you know, want things to dry up here at the nursery so we can renovate, I want the moisture for everyone, so mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit of a struggle both ways, but yes. how, how how can we help you this morning? Well, I have a honeysuckle bush. It's quite old. It's over 60 years old. And uh, over the winter time, I guess the snowplow had gone down the sidewalk and somehow caught in the branches or something, but it was broken and sitting on the boulevard when I I found it there. And I've kept it in the backyard over the winter, but I noticed the the smaller branches that are coming off, uh, they have buds that look like they're growing. And I was wondering if it's possible to... Uh, prune some of those small branches with the buds and somehow propagate them to, to grow? Yeah, you probably you probably could. Uh, sometimes we see that with when we're using and doing willows. We'll take the willow tips and stick them in wet sand, and they do root. But just remember, they, did they take the whole tree or just portions no, and branches? No, no, just one, 
one old branch, like at the one bottom, I guess, the, the bottom of it, it must be about two inches in diameter, it's quite old, but the, yeah. these uh, small ones were maybe this um, narrow, they were about the, the size of a pencil, but they're about two and a half to three feet long. Well, you could you could tr- you could try it on the older wood. You're not going to be successful, but no. we call it. It would be on the tips. It would be mm-hmm. on the very fine, uh, very end tips. You yeah. could snip it, yeah. and mm-hmm. I would try doing it in the sand. Yeah, uh, get some moisture put in there. And the rationale why these are happening, why it's budding, is we have to uh, be cognizant that when plants go into a dormant state in the winter, they have already taken up moisture and energy for the next year's bloom to start that's mm-hmm. their reserve it's like us uh, it's like the bear going on a good big forage <laughs> yeah <laughs> they forage before they hibernate trees do, trees and everything do the same thing in the yeah. fall they are looking for moisture they're looking for that intake and that energy to be dormant for mm-hmm. it, so that when spring mm-hmm. comes they're ready yeah. to go let's go mm-hmm. and if a tree is affected in the winter time. Let's say, uh, let's say a rabbit nibbles around portion of it and girdles the tree completely around. Let's say a snowplow goes by and breaks off a portion of your tree. That portion, that tree or that shrub, still has energy in the upper portion of its growth to leaf out and to grow. But it's usually the second year that you see either a demise or a weakening effect. So basically, the piece that you had that broke off had that energy in that because 60 years old, it's got that vigor. It's got that space to go through it. So A, I would definitely try it. And it would be kind of nice because now you're starting a new growth of something that is 60 years old. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely give it a try. Do a fresh fresh cut. How much length would I snip off at the top? Like maybe I, I do a foot to maybe eighteen inches. Oh, okay. Okay. Alrighty. Mm-hmm. And just get yourself a nice bucket of sand. Keep it moist. You got to remember, uh, you want to be able to have it not all the way to the bottom because unless you have drainage on that bottom portion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, also, the I have a rose bush, and I just noticed now that uh, I don't know if it's growing in in the rose but in the rose hips but there's about uh, half a dozen of them that they're i don't know if it's a gall or something they're so big like they're well more than you an would inch. see yeah you would see um if it was a gall you will you probably would have seen it you would have had it last year because mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't have gotten the development of the gall over a winter mm-hmm. but if it's the rose hips uh those you would have seen late late fall Mm-hmm. And they would still be holding on to some of those roses. Yes. But uh, if you want, you can send a photo to uh, our email at the mm-hmm. Lawn and Garden Journal at goldenwestradio.com and we could take a look at it. Mm-hmm. No, I don't have a cell phone. So oh, okay. Okay. That, but, well, uh, if it's a rose hip, uh, they will, you can either cut them off if mm-hmm. it is a gall and it's still there uh, on the areas that are on it. If you could try and maybe. Uh, any type of overwintering diseases right now before the leaves open up on any of our trees and shrubs mm-hmm. to help prevent the emergence of any disease or overwintering bugs. You can use a product called Dormant Limes with sulfur on it, and you could do a spray to help slow it down. Yes. If, it's, if it's looking really, really bad, you can maybe want to prune it out too as well. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay, thank you. 
Carla. You're very welcome. Thank you, Donna, for calling in, and thank you for listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. We're going to go right back to lines. Good morning, Donna. Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. Oh, well, okay is good. Okay is good. Okay is good. Okay is good. Where are you calling from this morning? From Emerson. Well, good morning, Emerson. Yes, it's gorgeous and sunny. And oh, they're in no wind, so. And oh, you know what? The wind in the last few days. The sun has been good. But it's the wind that's just been biting mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. But, so I, I was wanting some help and some um, tips on cl- how to climatize my indoor um, garden seed plants to outdoor before I transplant them in the garden. I've got like trays of impatience that are blooming right now and um and petunias and coleuses and tomatoes and spanish onions and you name it herbs and and i just i just don't know how to climatize them properly without them getting sunburnt and and wind wind thrashed (laughs) yeah you know what this is some things that we see um because we get energized and all of a sudden we think like let's go plant but we have to remember that like us plants do get sun scald mm-hmm. and it's something because they've been grown indoors they've been mm-hmm. uh, well warm so what i would suggest that you do is try if you can start cooling some of your plants down a little bit i know that we're saying keep them warm and cozy but if you can start cooling down the temperatures just slightly a you're going to decrease the nodes between your leaf sets yes. increase the lighting that's on it but uh, it's that chilling or cooling effect that they get used to that. And when opportunity has that you can actually get them outdoors, A, put them, I like to basically take some and put them under the shade of a tree, but yes. it has to be warm. So it's okay. like us. We get energized. And on May long weekend, we're in the garden, and we start layering down to our tank tops, and all of a sudden at the end of the day, we're sun so they will have that effect too. So you want to ch- start cooling the temperature so they get used to it. So and in the shade, in yep. the shade, but where it's warm, and then like, would you? What length of time? I would probably do this for a few days, in and out, in and out, in and out, or leave them in that shady. Oh. Or dappled sun is good too as well. Uh, early morning sun with dappled shade in the afternoon and then late evening but it gives you that breeze and putting a fan on them in the house right now too i i have fans on them yeah and it's cool in my room and there's fans on them um but i i always um like i'll even take them out just for a half an hour and, and then back in and a half an hour the next day and back in and it's just so much in and out but you say if if it's more um early morning and dappled shade I could leave them out all day. If if you leave them out all day, you could because in the afternoon you would have that dappled shade that's on there. Now you have to be remember, early spring there's not a lot of leaves out there. So if you have a structure that can give them mm-hmm. that shaded aspect, you know, um, I remember the the I'm going to call it the olden days that I took my bedding plants out. My husband had built me a, a cute little greenhouse at home, and I put everything outside, and I thought, yay! And I put them on the south side of the house against the stucco. And then I didn't see the effect that night, but the next day I came out and everything was white and wilted. And I was like, oh yeah. my gosh. So you'll see that you'll get a scalding. And a scalding and a burning is 
not red on plants, it's white. Yes, yes, them. I've had it. I've had yeah. it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I'm wondering the shade. So the shade on the north side of the house, or that like complete shade isn't good. It's dappled shade you want. I would. I prefer a dappled shade that's on there. Yeah. If, if let's say if it's on an area of house that you get three hours of afternoon solid shade, it's it's not going to hurt it, right? As long as your temperatures are up and the ground is not freezing cold. So, you know, at generally that point things are warming up and the plants will be okay. Even at some points when plants, if you don't get sun scald, you have to remember that it's kind of a shock. It's like going swimming the first time in the spring and the yeah. water at the pool is ice cold. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. give a, they, they, they have a little bit of conditioning to do that's on it. Yeah, and, and then, can, like, I've got gnats, too, a problem with gnats. I I have my Spanish onions in these trees, and I've got four, I guess, four little rows in this big tree, and and uh, um, I take a, a tip of a knife and go down the rows and stuff just to move the soil around, and out comes these gnats, you know. Yeah. And I know that they've already chewed off my um, parsley. Okay. I'm positive it's them that's done it, but maybe okay. not. I don't know, but, it, you know, the parsley was up a good half an inch, and then all of a sudden they're just lying on the ground, you know. Okay. Uh, the gnats themselves won't eat on eat plant matter. What they do is they eat the decaying matter off of the, the soils that are on there. What I'd like you to do is if you have your fans going, just careful on your moisture because okay. fungus gnats love damp wet soil and it's kind of a cycle because if it is an adult one they lay their eggs in the moist soil and then as the soil stays moist they pupate the the larvae hatch and then they become adults so you have to break that cycle so if you're watering keep your plants dry or house plants sometimes people are like why are they happening now it's because we're watering our plants a little bit more we're keeping soil a little bit moisture now because it's active growth time but if we allow our plants to dry out a little bit more mm-hmm. then uh it will help to break the cycle what you can do is uh get some sticky strips those those little yellow strips that you can target into areas of maybe where your starts are because they are attracted to the the sticky strips mm-hmm. they'll stick to it and then at that point uh there is a product called insectagon or it has diatomaceous earth in it that if you put a, uh, it's a dust that you can spray on top of the soil. And as that larvae emerges and it hasn't produced its wings yet, it causes a detriment to anything crawly. I've got diatomaceous earth and I was wondering about putting that on, on yes. the top of, of the um, plant, soil. like soil. Soil. Go yeah. ahead and do that? Yes, you can. Oh, okay. okay. I, I, I'll do that. I've done it out in the garden, but I've never done it in my my pots, but I was tempted to. Yep, you can do it, especially around your onions and all that. And just watch your uh, watering on your onion sets because they sometimes don't like to be watered from on top on the ground a lot in, in packs. Um, just I like to water, sort of see, I know that here we have to, because we're commercial, we have a large area, we have to water certain areas, but just monitor and let the, your onions dry it a little bit too as well. Okay, because oh. you don't want to get a crown rod on those. All right? Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thanks very much, Carla. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank oh. you for calling into the Lawn oh. Garden Journal. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. We've talked, we've listened, and we've learned all about gardening. Thank you for listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal. We'll be back next Saturday, same time. Bye-bye, everyone. Happy gardening.